This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Welcome to the next episode of All Things Considered CX. This is Bob Asman, and I'm your host for our podcast series. Today is the second part of our series with a discussion with our guest, John Goodman, who's going to talk to us today about the impact of linking quality customer experience together and building an investment case for customer experience. John, welcome back and please introduce yourself to our listening audience in case they hadn't heard our first uh, podcast. Okay, great. Thanks, Bob, very much. And uh, we've uh, been doing research in customer service and customer experience for over 40 years. Uh, we started out as an ad hoc student group in the basement of Harvard Law School and have yet to get real jobs. But uh, we, we first did research for the White House Office of Consumer Affairs, uh, where we found that customers who have a problem and don't complain are much less loyal, but if they have a problem, complain and are satisfied, they're more loyal. And that actually was the genesis of the use of 800 numbers for customer service. From there, we moved into uh, using customer feedback for total quality management. And then in the 90s and early 2000s, focused on customer experience. And uh, I published a book entitled Customer Experience 3.0, which suggests that customer experience should be proactive, preventive, and engaging when appropriate. Excellent. Thanks, John, for that introduction. What I like about John's approach is it's a practical approach to complex problems. In his articles, in his books, I think you'll find a lot of great information that John shares. And, and I find repeatedly after reading John's information and, and him sharing his knowledge that I say, of course, that makes so much sense. One of the things that uh, sparked a, a fire in me was a recent article that John wrote that I'll, I'll let him uh, expand upon, but he, he talks about the linkage of quality strategy and customer experience. And from my humble opinion, John, I think we've lost a little bit of traction around the concept of quality when it comes to customer experience and how important it is. And then sometimes we tie quality strictly to a, a product or a manufacturing facility. So maybe maybe kicking off today's podcast is, um, would be to, to help us understand this linkage and what you're seeing with with quality strategy and customer experience, John. 
Well, Bob, I've done probably uh, 10 articles in the quality professions lead journal, Quality Progress. And one of the points that I've been making over the past 25 years has been that most quality professionals, and there are several hundred thousand of them in the United States, uh, focus on, as you said, manufacturing quality. And in fact, when we start looking at the causes of a bad customer experience, Certainly product quality is one issue, but it's less than half of the causes. We basically find that there are, are sort of three root causes for quality issues. Uh, and surprisingly, uh, most people say, oh, well, it's the customer experience, uh, it's the customer service process, but we find that really employees of the company only cause 20 to 30% of, of dissatisfaction. Another 20 to 30% is caused by the customer doing incorrect things or stupid stuff with the product uh, to the point where we had an article that said, don't fix the product, fix the customer. And I actually had a uh, focus group of flight attendants from a major airline who said the problem with passenger service is that passengers just aren't up to our standards anymore. Uh, and so customers cause a lot of their own problems. And then the last 40 to 50% is unpleasant surprises caused by the company. Now, half of those are probably physical product problems, but the other half are complexity around the product. And the simplest example is fine print. If you have fine print in a contract, or if you have complex directions, by definition, you're building unpleasant surprises into the product or service. Because in a recent poll I did of 250 CEOs of small and medium-sized businesses, I said, how many of your customers even read their contract in detail? And maybe half to two-thirds do, but at least a third of companies who are buying in a business-to-business -business environment, the person signing the contract really doesn't read the contract in detail. And so you have all kinds of unpleasant surprises taking place. That's a long-winded way of saying that physical product quality is probably less than a third of all the causes of customer dissatisfaction, but most quality professionals are still focused only on that physical product quality. Hmm. That, that's a that's an intriguing statistic, John. H how do we convince uh, leadership, quality leaders to shift this thought process? Well, in in fact, it's once you say it to them, their their eyes light up and they nod because the big thing is, well, you're having trouble selling your quality initiatives to management if you made a better business case based on the whole end-to-end -end customer experience, you'd get a lot more resources for quality. And all of a sudden it's, oh yeah, that makes good sense. And the beautiful thing is that when you make a customer experience-based business case, all of a sudden the numbers become dramatically bigger and more compelling than if you simply do a physical quality business case. Because the physical quality business case in almost every plant that I've ever been in is cost savings. Oh, we're having a cost of waste in the production of this product. And if we change this process, we'll, we'll, we'll save, you know, $100,000 on reduced waste. Uh, 
Well, the waste and internal quality costs are minor compared to the customer experience and the external revenue cost of that defect. John, so often uh, when I talk to customer experience professionals, the attitude on investing is a little bit like, well, why wouldn't we do this? Don't we want to be the leader in customer experience? You know, it's a little bit about, you know, mom and apple pie uh, kind of approach where there isn't really a serious look at the investment. And so, like you said, it could be cost savings or cost avoidance, but there's there's other ways to create a business case based on complaints. And in your article, one of the things I was intrigued by was this whole concept of multipliers and how that can help contribute to a business case. Talk to us about that and your approach there. Well, uh, this again uh, gets into the area of customer insights. And one of the things that we have found is that the, the most successful companies on a quality and customer experience basis uh, have an alliance between quality and customer insights and customer experience. When those three are working together, all of a sudden you have a tremendous synergy. And it's because the, the uh, quality people are now understanding customer behavior. And the critical basis that we actually found in the original White House study I talked about was what we call the tip of the iceberg phenomenon which is basically that even for serious problems, only a small percentage of customers complain because it's too much trouble. I don't know where to complain and it won't do any good because last time I complained, nothing happened anyway. Uh, and it's just too much hassle. So what we find is for each complaint or, or warranty claim that is made, there's another two to five to 10 to 20, depending on the industry out there. So if all of a sudden you start saying, okay, uh, we, we have a hundred complaints, but that actually implies a thousand customers who've had this problem. And a third of those customers aren't gonna buy from us again. You now are in a position to say the revenue damage is a hell of a lot more than the, the warranty cost of the hundred people who complain. Well, that should make executives ears perk up, right? If we're talking about a much greater number of potential consumers impacted by the situation. Yeah. Is that and, what you're finding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's interesting is there's also a, a misperception, especially in business to business environments that all the customers complain. Uh, because what we, we find is, well, this guy is paying me $10,000 a month or $100,000 a month. Certainly, he's going to complain uh, if, if he has difficulties. And by the way, my account exec is, is talking to him you know, monthly. So, so if there are any problems, we'll hear about it. Well, we find that's not correct. Uh, and, and in a B2B environment, in addition to the it's too much trouble and I don't know where to complain and I complained in the past and it wouldn't do any good, there's a fourth thing which is probably preeminent in B2B, which is I don't want to sour the relationship. Yes, uh, your, your procurement processes are frustrating. 
your account rep is, is a dim bulb. Your repair technicians are always late and, and don't have the right parts. Uh, but I don't want to complain about them because I, I got a two-year contract with you and I got to keep doing business with them. And we actually found at Xerox many years ago that only one out of 20 people would complain about their service technician because if they did, the next time their machine was down and they were desperate and they needed to be put at the front of the line, their fear was they'd call the technician who'd say, oh, you're the one who complained about me. I can't come till next Tuesday. You know, he wouldn't get mad, he'd get even. So there's a tremendous fear in business to business about complaining because you're afraid you're going to sour the relationship. John, a few years ago, I, I had my car into the dealership for repair and I filled out a survey that car came back dirty and they asked me, did your car come back clean when it was done? And I gave them three stars instead of five stars. And the next visit I had into the dealership, the service advisor came up to me and said, you caused me to get lower stars on my survey. Why did you do that to me? So prime example, although yours was in business to business, a prime example of getting even, right? All of a sudden, my service advisor is mad at me. What am I going to do? What is he going to do to my car, right? We've actually had reports of, and I won't mention the brand, but of high-end dealerships who have called customers and say, how dare you give me a low rating? Don't bring your car back here. Oh, my God. And, and so there is a really serious fear of retribution uh, in, in any kind of a critical service. And in, in hospital environments, we find only 15% of patients or families complain about serious issues because Aunt Tilly is in that bed. And if we complain, you know, you might, you might do something bad to her. So. Right. Uh, but how important it is for us to get at those complaints that people are dissatisfied or not. Exactly. But, but back to your, your original question, the, these behaviors that exist, and in many cases, it's very hard to break them down. You, you, all you can do is take what you do get and then extrapolate to the market, does make the argument that the tip of the iceberg exists in every environment. And that is an opportunity because what you can then do is extrapolate your complaint data to the marketplace and then start talking in terms of, okay, uh, assuming the multiplier is 10 to one, we've got a hundred complaints, that's a thousand customers. Then how much are those customers worth in revenue? And also how much negative word of mouth are they spending? And we find that word of mouth is the most powerful marketing tool, especially in B2B, but very much in, in, in the consumer market also. And so a great customer experience is also a word of mouth management process, which again, the quality people are, are not recognizing that that's an opportunity where they have a lot of leverage uh, and it's not just on physical product quality. It can also be, hey, we, if we improved our directions for this technology product, customers would have an easier time with it. And then we're going to get less returns. We have found in, in several cases that over 50% of all the products returned, I'm thinking of digital cameras and some other environments, had nothing wrong with them. It's just the customer couldn't figure out how to make them work correctly. 
And so the simplest thing is don't fix the product, fix the customer by giving them a better onboarding process and a better set of educational materials that they'll actually use. Again, so, so practical in an approach to helping customers uh, have a better experience with your product or service once they've got it. It makes, it makes a total sense. And, and I want to emphasize to our listeners the, the concept of tip of the iceberg. This is a, a key concept that John uh, has put forth, and I really encourage you to consider what he's suggesting with that because it's a great visual uh, as well if you're presenting a business case to, to executives looking for investment. And also the other interesting thing is that uh, we had a CFO of a major electronics firm who will go nameless that uh, was sort of shaking his head and saying, you know, this, this doesn't apply to us. We make a perfect product. And, and I said, okay, uh, how's your experience been with your car dealership? And he mentioned a high-end brand and said he hated his dealer. And I said, well, have you ever really complained about it? Well, no all right, your customers behave the same way as you do. And all of a sudden, the light went on and he got it. So if you can take this tip of the iceberg, non-complaint behavior and ask your executives, have they behaved like that? Tell me, tell me about the last bad service you got and did you complain? All of a sudden, they understand this whole concept and, and they become much more uh, willing to embrace that yes, there is a multiplier out there and it's doing a lot of damage because then you can say, by the way, did you tell anybody about it at the late, latest cocktail party? And people love complaining about the bad service they get. So true. So John, as we're talking about this and, and we're talking about the, um, the concept of building this business case. What are what are some of the dimensions of the business case that you found that you can provide to our listeners that have found success in convincing executives to invest? Uh, well, the the keystone I think is is the revenue, uh, which is the the biggest number, uh, and uh, loyalty and loss of loyalty due to problems uh, can be directly tied to the amount of revenue you get from a customer. And so we first start with revenue and look at what's one year's revenue from, from the existing customer. Now, I'm sure you've heard the term lifetime value of a customer. We actually have an article entitled The Death of Lifetime Value, which says you can talk about lifetime value until the cows come home, no finance guy's going to accept it. I've had several CFOs when, when we talk about lifetime value of 10 years or something like that, who says, who knows if we're even going to be in this business five years from now? So we find that it's better to use one, two, or three years of revenue and basically ask the finance people, what would they use? And then use a number slightly smaller than what they use so that when the business case is presented and they look at the finance guy and say, well, do you believe these numbers? We've actually had finance guys who say, well, my only criticism is that they're being too conservative. They're using too small a value for the customer. The minute finance criticizes you for being too conservative, you've carried the day. So uh, that's step one. And, and uh, step two is look at word of mouth because uh, word of mouth is the source of most new customers in most environments now. And especially when you, you add word of mouth, 
which is my term for word of mouth on the web. Uh, and if you can get your word of mouth to be good enough, your actual marketing expenses go down. Uh, I interviewed the president of the, the Cheesecake Factory, and he said that their marketing expense is 25% that of their direct competitors, because to quote him, we just let our, let our customers do our selling for us. Uh, and my, my standing joke is that if you could get your word of mouth to be good enough, you wouldn't need any sales or marketing guys at all. You just let your customers do your selling. But before marketing freaks out, uh, we, we have yet to see where, where there's no need for marketing. Though your cost of acquisition goes down dramatically if you have a lot of positive word of mouth uh, backing your marketing efforts. Uh, the, the third component is margin. And what we have found is that uh, if customers have problems, even, even problems that don't make them go away, in other words, you don't lose their loyalty, but the more they have problems, the more sensitive they are to price. And we've seen sort of a perfect linear relationship. If customers have had no recent problems, when you say, what do you think of our price? They'll say, well, you're expensive, but you're definitely worth it. The minute you, they have one problem, sensitivity to price doubles. If they have two problems, it doubles again. So the message to finance is, if you want to charge a premium for your product, you better have damn good quality. So that again is a linkage of quality back to the finances. And then the fourth area is share of wallet. And we've done some in interesting research at, at Chrysler Finance and a number of other areas where we would ask uh, the customer, in this case, it was Chrysler dealers, uh, what do you think of the finance arms quality? And are, to, to what degree are you giving, you know, what share of wallet are you giving them versus financing through local banks and such? And what we found was that the minute that the dealers said, hey, you know, your quality is starting to get better. I have perceived an improvement in quality over the last six months. Immediately, share of wallet goes up dramatically. And if anything, the, uh, the share goes up almost contemporaneously with the perception that service is getting better. So one can enhance, when you're in an oligopolistic environment, one can enhance your share of the wallet dramatically by simply improving the customer experience. John, one thing you talked about in, the, in um, your most recent comments is, is about this whole price value relationship and how price falls away as quality improves and and, and I say that myself, you know, you're more expensive, but boy, I can depend on you or the quality is there, or your service is great. I, you know, I, I, as a consumer, I put a caveat on that. It, what you've, you've consulted and worked with uh, CEOs and some of the largest companies in the world. What do you think it is? What are the blinders or how do we break through that as CX professionals speaking from your experience? Well, uh, the, I think the, the biggest challenge is in markets that are somewhat perceived as being commodity. For instance, commodity chemicals, commodity paper, uh, logistics, transportation. And everyone says it's price, price, price. Uh, but what we have found is that, that and, and you hit on one of the key things, dependability. Uh, to the degree that the quality is higher and the dependability is higher, uh, people are willing to pay a premium. Now, it's not 10 or 20%, but even in commodity paper, 
where you're shipping carloads of, of paper from a, a paper mill, uh, we find customers are willing to pay three or 4% more, which given the margins in that industry, that's increasing your profitability by 25 or 50% because the margins are very thin. In, in the supermarket industry, you know, the margins are one to 2%. So if you can get from one to 2% to 5%, you have doubled your profits. And so we, we find that uh, uh, what is perceived as being small improvements in, in margin have tremendous impacts on, on profitability. Oh, and one other interesting thing, there was a research uh, study published in the journal Marketing Research recently that found that when customers are acquired through word of mouth, I tell you, hey, this is a good company and you say, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy their product. When you buy their product, you are significantly less sensitive to price because, well, you're buying it basically because John recommended it and you, you, you trust me. But also uh, we find that those customers acquired via word of mouth are worth 25% more in terms of total revenue. They buy more and they're less price sensitive and they're, they sort of come to you pre-sold. And so word, if, again, it goes back to, if you can get your word of mouth to be good enough, you can be wildly successful with next to no marketing expense whatsoever. John, that is a astounding statistics that, that word of mouth customers um, come to you are gonna spend more, uh, more loyal. That just, it just blows me away um, of the importance of that word of mouth. Well, and, and if you think about it, it's, it's common sense. And, and several times you've said, well, yeah, that's how I behave. But what we have found is common sense is in very short supply. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I, I've been thinking of writing a musical comedy along that line. But uh, in, in any case, uh, yes, it is common sense. And, and in fact, one of, one of our staff was asked a while back, aren't you embarrassed to be selling common sense? And she had, I thought, a good answer, which was there still seems to be a market for it in a few places. <laughs> that, is, that is a good response, absolutely. Um, John, this has been another fantastic uh, conversation with you. Any closing thoughts you have for our listeners and then also include uh, how they might uh, follow you and, and read your articles? Well, uh, first, uh, I guess you can go to our website, uh, customercaremc, customercaremeasurementandconsulting.com. And our latest book is Strategic Customer Service, which looks at the end-to-end -end customer experience uh, published by HarperCollins. And in terms of, of a, a last uh, thought, it would be the customer experience people really need to take the quality guys to lunch and offer to help them enhance their business case. And uh, we've got a bunch of articles in Quality Progress uh, that, that make the case that it's, quality needs to expand their thinking. So uh, if you can do some missionary work in the quality area, uh, they're really good in that they can do pilot tests and do really good root cause analysis. It's just in many cases, their uh, an analytical approach is constrained by a limited set of root causes. And so the customer experience people can expand that 
pause set to include uh, the sales and marketing area, which caused 20% of all dissatisfaction, and customer mistakes, which causes another 20 to 30% uh, dissatisfaction. And by the way, those are opportunities. Once quality identifies them and embraces them, the fix comes from the customer experience and customer service executive, because they're the ones that are going to have to do the education and come up with a better set of instructions or make the product more clutch proof. I, I love the comments, John, about common sense and about the importance of the customer experience professional networking and linking with the quality professional and building the case together. That's I hope our customer experience professionals listen carefully to those uh, final thoughts, John, because they were they were good ones for sure. Great. Well, well I really appreciate this. You bet, John. So uh, thank you again, John Goodman, for joining us for this uh, part two of our series. And we're hopeful that John and I can find uh, additional topics to cover in the future and have another series because this has been a, a knowledge rich session with John and be sure and follow him, follow John and his articles and his website. Thank you listeners. Uh, this has been another edition of All Things Considered CX. If you've enjoyed listening to John and myself talk about customer experience, please uh, follow us and spread the word about this podcast. Until our next podcast, thank you uh, for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.